going to try to preach a message. We'll see what happens. Uh, Bishop Taylor, uh, I don't know where he went, but thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. To the presiding bishop, thank you, thank you, thank you so much, sir. Um, I don't take um, opportunities like this lightly um, at all, at all. In fact, I was kind of wrestling um, all day because it's um, sometimes when you take what you do serious and you get an opportunity like this, you don't want to take it for granted, right? And so I was like, God, I want you to give me something fresh for the people. Give me something real and raw that you know was not rehearsed, that was not um, preconceived or pre-thought of. Like, give me something for them today. And um, and I wrestled with even what I was going to talk about tonight, but I really felt like God began to talk to me tonight um, about really him taking us back to the basics, taking us back to the basics. And so tonight, um, I believe that over these next few minutes, um, I don't think I'll be long. I'm, I'm, I'm just, we're going to do what God says. And then um, if I'm in the right place, I'll, I'll minister. And then by the end of tonight, um, he'll begin to speak prophetically to some people. And, uh, and then we'll just see what God has. Anybody expecting something from God tonight? My pastor always says expectation is the breeding ground for miracles. And if you'll expect it, God will do it. If you'll expect it, God will do it. So would you bow your heads with me as we pray? Father, thank you so much for tonight. Father, I pray that your mind and your heart would be released in this place. Thank you, Father, for aligning us with you. Father, you're already at work, God. They don't need a preacher. Lord, they don't need a service, God. They need you. So I pray that Jesus Christ of Nazareth, Nazareth would manifest himself tonight. Father, do whatever you will. This is your house. Have your way, Father. Whatever you're into tonight, God, that's what we're into. If you want to heal somebody, God, do it. If you want to free somebody, God, do it. God, if you want to save somebody's soul tonight, do it, Father. Whatever you want to do, Father, we pray, do it tonight. In Jesus' name, amen, amen, amen. Um, so we're going to jump into this tonight. Um, I am I am very, uh, I'm, I'm a young guy, you know, and I just, I love Jesus passionately, but I believe in technology. So I'm going to preach for my phone tonight. Is that all right? We're going to do that tonight, all right? So um, tonight, um, I really feel like God has a very specific word for you. Um, I tell people this all the time. God, uh, you know, gives me the opportunity to do this um, fairly often. But I, I tell you, I'm the least likely person to stand where I'm standing right now. Uh, well, I'm living proof that God says he takes the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. I'm, I, that's the story of my life, the foolish things. I'll prove it to you. Uh, I never grew up in a church. Um, I grew up um, by the streets, in the streets. Uh, when, I was, uh, when I was a young man, my dad was a drug dealer. And um, I joined a gang when I was 12 years old. And so if I, if I talk a little funny tonight, um, it's because I am Hispanic, Caucasian, and Native American and grew up around nothing but black people, all right? So it's, I'm just, I don't know what I am. I'm confused, you know? So, uh, but if I talk a little funny, that's why, so you know a little bit of my background. But um, I am living proof that Jesus works. <laughs> um, when I was uh, 13 years old, um, I got a knock on my door um, by some elderly Caucasian guy. And um, he was asking me to come to church. So I was like, no, I'm not interested. Don't want to go to your church. I'm not going to come. The man knocked on my door at least 50 times every week. I mean, consistently knocking on my door. Hey, I want you to come to church. No, I'm not interested. Not going to come. So about 50 times later, I was outside playing basketball. um, And uh, the bus drove by of these kids that went to church. And they stopped down the road. And when they got off the bus, I saw girls and pizza. And I was like, I'm there next week. I'm there, right? So literally, it's what got me to church. Um, I ended up going to the church. Um, I got kicked out of the church my first day on the bus. 
um, I, was, uh, I was one of those, what you would call a rebellious kid. And so um, I was acting up, and I had a bunch of friends around me that were acting up. And so as I was acting up on this bus, what ended up happening was the, the bus captain decided he was going to pray for me because he wanted me to act right, right? So he, you know, he went into tongues and da 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 and uh, he went and, and touched my head, and I didn't know him from Adam, and so I fought him uh, for touching me. I didn't know you, and so you don't touch me. And so I got kicked off the bus my first week for fighting my bus captain. Uh, fast forward a little bit longer. Um, they let me back about a month later, and because there were pizza and girls there, I said, yes, I'm coming back. And so I went. Um, later on, I joined a leadership training program. And um, in this leadership training program, they gave 20 urban uh, young people an opportunity to go to Belize, Central America, on a mission trip. Now, listen, I did not know Jesus. I just went to church, and they wanted me to go on this trip. I was fresh off of probation a week before the trip so I could go uh, for stealing cars. And so I got on this trip. I remember being on this trip, and, uh, man, I was a mess, a full-blown mess. And um, out there in Belize trying to see if I can get a girl's number. Like, what? Like, in Belize, like, we're going to call each other. Like, I, I don't know what was wrong with me. I was a mess. And so I get to Belize, and I'm sitting in a service similar to this, and we're doing our little skits and dramas. And they're telling me, uh, Bishop, to, to tell your testimony, right? So I'm telling uh, what I little did I know that I was prophesying, but what I'm telling them is, like, yeah, I used to do X, Y, and Z. And God came in and saved me, but he really hadn't saved me yet up to that point. I, I was full-blown prepared. When I leave here, I'm going right back to where I was. And so I'm standing there. Um, we're in a service. We're sitting in the back, and I got a friend with me, a big buff dude. You know what those dudes just buff for no reason? He was one of those cats, right? So uh, just buff. And so he's sitting next to me, and I look next to me, and he starts crying. And you know, now I'm starting to freak out a little bit. I'm like, I don't know why you're crying. What's wrong with you? So he responds to the altar call like many of you might do tonight. And he goes up to the front, and, and I didn't go up because I felt Jesus. I went up because I'm loyal to my friend, and I just went up with him. And for the first time in my life, I felt the peace of God, the peace of God. Now, this is the way I, I like to describe it because, you know, people will always argue feelings versus doctrine versus, you know, it's the book, right? But the truth is you cannot argue my experience. I felt the peace of God. You can't argue that, right? You can't argue a changed life. I felt the peace of God. And so uh, what ended up happening was something came over me, and I said, man, I'm saved. I'm, I'm going to do this thing for real this time. And so I went home, um, and two weeks later, my uncle gets locked up for life. And nobody at that time told me, get ready, because <laughs> it's going to get a little tough out here, right? And so uh, being in a gang, I did what, what, what most people would do. I went right back to what I was comfortable doing when all hell broke loose afterwards. So about a, about, fast forward about a year later, I'm almost done with this portion of the story. You'll be all right. So I'm, about a year later, I ended up, um, I, I, after the trip, we said, me and my friend, we both said, hey, we're going to go to a Christian school. We want to get out of public school systems. I want to go and be around other Christians and who love God. And, and, and yeah, so we went. Uh, little did I know um, that everything that happens in the public school happens in the Christian school. And so, um, I, and they have more money to do so. So, you know, it was like, okay, so the turn up got bigger and better and, so we was doing that about um, almost a semester through. Uh, we got kicked out for stealing a church van. And so um, we were literally a mess, right? So uh, today um, I have a degree in theology, gone to two years of Bible school. Um, amen, somebody. That's a big accomplishment. I am a, a, a church van stealing pastor today. And, uh, 
And uh, but I thank God um, for what I had to go through to for him to capture my attention. I literally have friends today that are doing federal penitentiary time, and it always boggles my mind. Even in college, it messed me up because I used to think, God, why am I in college and they're in the streets? And we did the exact same thing. In fact, I was probably one of the ones that was like, oh, let's go do this. Oh, let's go do that. Yet God had his hand on me in such a way that he preserved my life and allowed me to become who I am today. And so um, I am a fully submitted man. Uh, my, my apostle, uh, Sherman Dumas and Jaquette Dumas, um, I thank God for their life. They saved my life. Um, after college, I got married. Less than a year, I was divorced. Um, I was hurting, broken, looking for help. I needed somebody to help me. I went to a mega church from where I'm from. And uh, for, for whatever reason, nobody, like, took the time to really, like, pour in to some little poor Hispanic kid at this mega church. And um, in the worst time of my marriage, um, my, uh, my pastor released his book called Bastard Nation about the lack of spiritual fathers and spiritual sons in the nation. And uh, the Holy Spirit said, call them. And we were just friends on Twitter because we knew each other for, through ministry. I called them and I said, I don't care about ministry. I need help. I need somebody to really help deal with me and uh, help process me because I'm hurting and I'm trying to figure life out. And when I went to my, my natural dad, my dad said, I can't help you. You're doing better than I am. And so, um, so she ended up leaving. Four months left on my lease. I called uh, my apostle and said, Hey, um, I didn't call him apostle at the time because I didn't even know that language. I just knew he was a pastor. That's, that's literally all I, I didn't know anything about church. I'm not church. And so all I knew was he was a pastor. And I said, hey, uh, Pastor Sherman, um, she's gone. It's final. I have four months left, and I'm going to move to California uh, to submit to you. And whatever that looks like, I'm okay with I told him I do not want to do ministry. I don't want to touch a microphone. I don't want to serve. I just want to learn from you. And I moved out here from Oklahoma to San Bernardino, California, um, to literally be a son. I am today because he is. And, uh, and I want to take some special time to honor my pastor. And uh, he's an amazing, amazing. If you don't follow him on social media, you should. Um, you'll see why um, I'm so submitted to the man. So I thank God for uh, the opportunity. About a year ago, um, I made some really crazy mistakes in ministry. I fell into sexual sin. And uh, my pastor loved me enough to sit me down for six months. And, uh, and I didn't touch a mic. I didn't touch a small group. I didn't touch a discipleship meeting. I didn't, and I was traveling the country by that point. He sat me down and said, don't do nothing. Sit here. Be processed. Be delivered. Be made whole, right? And uh, six months later, literally in October last year, um, God released me to get back into this thing. And, and, uh, and I've been going ever since. And so that's, that's the, um, the Cliff Notes version of, of the story. And so uh, thank you guys for tuning in. Tonight we're, we are going to minister a message. Um, I'm going to minister a message called Take Me Back. Take Me Back. Take Me Back. If you have your Bibles, you can turn them on. Go to um, Romans chapter 8. Well, don't act like you don't got cell phones with your Bible app on it. I'm going to read it from the New Living Translation because it's the only one I understand. So... In Romans chapter 8, it's one of my, uh, not one of, it is probably my favorite chapter in the, in the entire Bible. Um, we're going to start in verse 12, and then we're going to talk a little bit. It says, uh, therefore, dear brothers and sisters, you have no obligation to do what, you'll, what your sinful nature urges you to do. For if you live by its dictates, you will die. But if through the power of the Spirit you put to death the deeds of your sinful nature, you will live. 
For all who are led by the Spirit of God, these are the children of God. Or another version says, these are the sons of God. So if you have not received a spirit that may, or so you have not received the spirit that makes you fearful slaves, instead you received God's spirit when he adopted you as his own children. Now we call him Abba, Father, for he joins, uh, for his spirit joins with our spirit to affirm that we are God's creation. And since we are his children, we are his heirs. In fact, together with Christ, we are heirs of God's glory. Thank you, Jesus. Um, go down a little bit further to uh, verse uh, 19. And it says, for all creation is waiting eagerly for that future day when God will reveal who his children really are. Another version says the earth is moaning for the manifestation of the sons of God. It means the earth is looking for sons to manifest themselves. You know, uh, we're in a, a culture right now where, especially if you've been in church for at least, you know, a week, um, you, you may have heard um, this concept of sonship tossed around. And you're my spiritual father. I'm your spiritual son. Um, and it's tossed around pretty frivolously at this moment because everybody is looking to be a son or to have a father. The truth is this, um, the generation we live in, uh, there's a real big epidemic of fatherlessness. You have a lot of young people, young people and old people alike, who wrestle with fatherlessness. Now, let me give you context of fatherlessness. Fatherlessness does not mean that your dad was not there. Because your dad could have been there like mine and not had the tools for you that you needed to become who God called you to be. So literally, my dad was there, but not there. When I called him, when I was struggling in my marriage, he said, I can't help you. You're doing better than I am. That is not being a father. I was fatherless, right? So you look at the epidemic of fatherless, and then you look in the church, and everybody's looking for a spiritual father or to be a spiritual son. And I want to give some language to what it means to really be a son. Um, And the reason I call this take me back, because I need you to know that in your most purest form of who God created you to be, you are a son or a daughter. In the most purest version of you, you're a son or daughter. I'll prove it to you. I'll prove it to you. I want you to think of of maybe the worst pain you've ever experienced in your life, the worst thing. And for me, it was the divorce, right? It It was heartbreaking. It was hard. I didn't know how to navigate through it. But go on beyond that a little bit before you felt that pain. Go, go to, to your childhood where maybe you were eight and, and, and you had some other type of pain. And, and, and let's go back even a little bit further. Let's go back to you're three years old and, and you're playing with your siblings and you end up uh, getting injured and there's a level of pain there. But now let's go back to your birthday, to the day that you came out of your mother's womb. And some of us came out and there were medical conditions or issues. But here's the truth. None of you really remember the pain you felt on that day. You don't remember pain like that. Here's the reality. Many of us are living our life today based on the pain we felt as a child. I can't tell you how many adults that I talk to that are still 28 years old and living like an 8-year-old. Living like an 8-year-old. And so what happens is this. This fatherlessness thing is really, really running rampant in our society. However, in the church, we're all looking for some level of a covering um, and some affirmation or something. But nobody really gives language to what this really means. And in Romans verse 8, it tells us very clearly that you don't got to do what your sinful nature tells you to do. Pretty much, you don't got to sleep with her, bruh. Like, you don't. You don't. Come on, you don't got to keep looking at that stuff, and you don't got to keep touching yourself. You don't. You don't. 
God, I know you convinced yourself that everybody struggles with it and you'll never be set free from it. But scripture tells us very clearly, no, 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 no. If you live by your spirit nature, you do not have to do the things of the flesh. However, if you live by your sinful nature, you will do those things, right? In Romans 8, 14, it says those who are led by the spirit of God, these are the sons of God. Here's the prerequisite to you being a son of God. Be led. Be led. I know you might have been looking for some deep, like, you know, theological, like, definition. No, no, no. Learn to be led. If you learn to be led by the Holy Ghost and not by him, her, she, it, whatever it is, if you learn to be led by God, you don't have to worry if you're accepted by him. Because if we're all honest, we work our way into exception anyways. I want you to accept me, so I'm going to... Come on, I, you, you need me to pick up some chairs for you because I, I need to be accepted by you. What you need, you need me to do, Bishop, what, whatever you want, I got you. I will do it for you right now because I want to be accepted by you. Exception. Our drive to be accepted comes from our internal wounds that happened as a child. As a child. I want a minister to take me back because I think it's really important for us to understand that as a baby, as a newborn, you were the purest version of yourself. The purest version of yourself. In fact, you spent your entire life trying to figure out really who you are, when in all reality, if you could go back and erase the pain and go beyond the memories and go back to the day that you came out of your mother's womb, there was two things that were really important. Number one, you made it. And number two, God had a word for you. That's all that matters. You made it, and God has a plan For you. Now, what we got to do in our adult or childhood or teenage years, our goal now is to figure out, man, how do we get back to that place where we made it and God had a word for us? We made it and he had a word. You want to know why it's so hard for us to get back to that place? Because we have to now unpack and unravel years of insecurity and pain and brokenness that the church honestly has not given us tools to help unravel. Listen, I believe in deliverance. I believe in the laying on the hands and casting out your demons. Come on. Somebody need deliverance. But here's the truth. You can be delivered and go back in a week if somebody don't help you deal with the pain on the inside of you. In fact, I would dare to say most of your decisions that are ungodly are not just because you want to jump into ungodly things. There's some undealt with pain there. Some undealt with pain. So scripture tells us that those who are led by the spirit of God, these are the sons of God or the children of God. So number one, the prerequisite is you got to learn to be led by God. This is why the enemy makes rebellion so rampant in our generation and pride is so full. And I mean, I think I think, you know, it's crazy because I think American Idol helped out a lot. America, I mean, because they made them feel like you can be an overnight success. You don't got to submit to nobody. You don't need no process. You don't need no helping with nothing. You get on that stage with a microphone in your hand. You sing the right note, and all of a sudden, you made it. I got news for you. That only works for a select few. (laughs) And many of us are not the select few. And if we look at those that have even made it, many of them have fallen off because of undealt with pain. Undealt with pain. Take me back. I want to go back before the rejection, before the abandonment, before my dad walked out, before my mom left me, before they lied to me. I want to go back before that. Who was I before all of that? If you have your Bibles, I want you to go to Matthew chapter 3. We're going to talk about Jesus for a second. 
Because I think in every message you should talk about Jesus. <laughs> in Matthew chapter 3, at the end of it, let me go there with you. I was going to paraphrase, but I'll actually read it so you know I'm, I'm not making stuff up. In verse 13, we see this really, really powerful moment in Scripture. It's when Jesus is getting affirmed by God. So it says this. Jesus went from Galilee to the Jordan River to be baptized by John. But John tried to talk him out of it. I'm the one who needs to be baptized by you, he said. So why are you coming to me now? But Jesus said, it should be done, for we must carry out all that God requires. So John agreed to baptize him. After his baptism, as Jesus came up out of the water, the heavens opened, and he saw a spirit of God descending like a dove and settling on him. And a voice from heaven said, this is my dearly loved son who brings me great joy. Can you use your imagination with me? I know you, you've probably been in church for some time, and, and you just read it like straight. But I want you to imagine that you're at the river. And here's Jesus. He walks up to the water. He gets dipped in the water, and all of a sudden, the sky cracks. Yo, that's gangster. Like, I don't care who you are. That's crazy. That, I, would, I would freak out if I saw the sky crack today. I would be like, oh, shoot, like, it's real, y'all. Like, you see that? Like, it's really happening. And so what happens is the sky cracks wide open. Here's God. He comes down. He says probably the most powerful thing in Scripture. He says, this is my dearly loved son in whom I'm well pleased. You want to know what I find interesting about this, uh, this particular passage is this was actually, if you know anything about the life of Jesus, this was at the beginning of his ministry. This was before Jesus casted out a devil. This was before he healed the sick. This was before he preached any messages, a sermon on the mount or anything. This was his launch into ministry. And so what happens is this. Jesus did not have to do anything to be accepted by God like that, except be led by God. Literally, that was it. He didn't, have to, he didn't have to have a title. He didn't have to have a name. He didn't have to have a position. He simply, in the very beginning of who Jesus was, come on, this is before uh, Nicodemus came up and started talking to him. This is before he turned water into wine. This is before any of the written miracles that we hear about Jesus. He didn't have to do nothing to be called a son. Because in the purest version of you, you don't have to fight for acceptance. In the purest version of who God created you to be, you're naturally accepted by the Father. So he says, okay, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. Now, you know, anytime God has a plan, the enemy has one too, right? I know we read the Bible chapters and verses, so if you read one chapter a day, you might miss what I'm about to say next, all right? But I want you to go to Matthew chapter 4, because the Bible was not originally wrote in, in chapters and verses. It was books and letters, books and letters. Go to Matthew chapter 4. And we'll just read it in the beginning. Then Jesus was led, watch, led, he's a son. Now he's led by the spirit into the wilderness to be tempted there by the devil. For 40 days and 40 nights he fasted and became very hungry. Um, Now, listen, we hear about this this story all the time. Jesus was in the the wilderness. He got tempted with the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. The enemy came, and he'd be one, hey, say, hey, look. You've been fasting for 40 days. I know you want a Big Mac by now. Come on, like, you got to eat something that's going to be really good for you. Turn this rock into bread. Now, listen, let me tell you what the enemy really tried to do. The enemy tried to make Jesus become performance-based. To make him perform his way into acceptance. 
You want to know why it was so easy for Jesus to say no? I know we think that it was because he knew the word and the word was what gave him the power. It was actually because right before this, God says, this is my son. When you're affirmed by God, you don't need acceptance from anybody else. You don't. So I know my pastor supports me. He affirms me. He loves me, right? When I come to places like this, I don't got to fight for your acceptance because I'm already accepted. I know God already affirms me, supports me, loves me, right? When I come into places and spaces like this, come on, I don't got to hoop and holler and shout just so that you get it and so you think that I did good. Because at the end of the day, if God don't move, none of us did good anyways. I don't have to perform my way into this. But here's what's so crazy. We oftentimes hear about what he was tempted with, the, the turn the rock into bread, turn, uh, you know, jump off the cliff and the angels will catch you and then bow down and worship me. And we can have all of this. But I want to focus on this one part. This was right after God just called him a son. That actually was not the first. Those three temptations were actually not the real temptation. Here was the real temptation. During that time, the devil came to him and said to him, if you really are the son. How many times have you been in church and God moved so crazy for you and it was just amazing and you walked out and already was second guessing what God did? You was already like, nah, like, I mean, it felt good, but is, that, is God really going to come through for me like that? Listen, that's the enemy's tactic is to make you forget that you really were a son or a daughter and he spent your entire life. Your entire life causing pain, rejection, abandonment, issues, family struggles, financial struggles, you name it. His entire motive was not to get you to fall into sin, but to make you forget that you were a son or a daughter. Now, I know, I know, I know, I know holiness is still right. I believe it. Absolutely, I believe it. Holiness is still right at the end of the day. But your sin is not a sin issue. It's an identity issue. And because you don't remember that I'm a son, it's so much harder for you to say yes to what God wants you to say yes to and no to what the enemy's trying to tempt you with. Sin is not a sin issue. I know, come on, I know we try to teach you rules and regulations and do this and don't do this. And if you touch that, it's going to be bad news for you. But the truth is, if we would spend more time working on identity things, we would have to spend less time sin managing when people fall into sin. It's an identity issue. Your real struggle is not that you have a struggle. It's that you forgot who you were. Listen, in your purest form, When you came out of your mother's womb, you made it, and God had a plan. Now we got to spend the rest of our life trying to figure out and unpack all of this stuff that we got to deal with on a regular basis. I know you go to work, and they make you angry, and I know you're at school, and they get on your nerves, and, and they treat you wrong. I get it, but the truth is, if you would just remember who you were in the first place, none of that would bother you anyways. So then it's easy for Jesus to say, no, I'm good. I don't want to turn this rock into bread. <laughs> I don't need to do that because I don't need your acceptance. God bless you. Have a good day. I don't need it because the truth is I know who I am. He just now accepted me. He just accepted me right before Matthew chapter 3. He said, this is my son. 
in whom I'm well pleased. Do you know the epidemic with fatherlessness in this generation is not so much an attack on fathers, and I know we spend a lot of time talking about the dads, and let's get the men, and I believe in, in men ministry and going after the men in, in the church and the men of God. But here's the thing. The real issue in, in, with this fatherless epidemic, it's not an attack on men. It's an attack on sons and daughters. Because watch this. If I can remove the person that's supposed to develop you, I can keep you in seed form for 28 years. You'll be 28 years old still acting like a three-year-old in the spirit because you didn't have a daddy to really process you. Let me give some definition to this word sonship. Sonship, the definition that I came up with when I went through that season of really processing and figuring out who I am, it's this, the state of being reproduced. It's a constant state. Of being reproduced. Now, I know you've grown. I know you get, I know. Come on, you make your own decisions. You pay your own bills. But you're still a son or a daughter, boo. And if you remember who you are and stay in a posture of being reproduced, it's so much easier to say no to what you got to say no to. So much easier. You have to remember who you were. Listen, I spent a lot of time. I'm a life coach. So I talk to people about the issues. Why you ain't starting that business yet? I'm scared. What are you scared for? Because 20 years of experience told you to be afraid. But when you came out of that womb, there was no fear in you. Fear is something that was taught and caught. You weren't born with fear. You were born into sin. But over your years, you found out. They let you down. They dropped the ball. Money didn't come through when you wanted. And now all of a sudden, I'm afraid to become who God called me to become. Not because I'm afraid. I forgot who I was. I just remember. That when I came out the womb, I made it. He had a plan. I made it. He had a plan. One of the things I saw during worship tonight was there's, there's a, a blockage for many in this room. And, you know, you can wear your church mask if you want to. Um, that's cool. Um, it's on you. But um, here was the blockage that the Lord began to speak to me about. The blockage was bitterness. Do you know your bitterness is keeping you from being reproduced? <laughs> so can I use you for an example? Would you come? Yeah. Let me, let me prove it to you. Let's, let's say, what's your name? Earl. Earl. Let's say Earl was the one responsible for reproducing me, okay? He's the one that's supposed to develop me, turn me into the man that God has called me to become, all of that. Now, we can go natural or spiritual. You name it. We can go that route, all right? But let's, let's just say he's the one responsible for reproducing me. At some point, Earl dropped the ball. Earl messed up. He didn't handle me right. He said something I didn't like. He offended me. I got upset, and I'm done, right? I walk away. I'm no longer in a position to be reproduced. Who does that affect? Because Earl's already produced. Listen, your bitterness is keeping you from growing. Your bitterness is keeping you from becoming exactly who God called you to become. I know they messed you up. I know they did you dirty. I know it hurt. But if you learn to let that bitterness go, there's a wall that's being broken down in the spirit now called bitterness. And I'm telling you, if you'll let go of bitterness, God will begin to accelerate you in your natural living. Listen, no, I know we talk a lot about the spiritual, and that's a part of it. But your natural things are held up because you're bitter. You're natural. Your money is held up because you're bitter. Can I, can I mess with you a little bit? I'm going to mess with your theology a little bit, right? 
Because we don't talk about this stuff, right? We think I'm bitter at the church. I'm mad and I'm mad at the world because they don't love me and the church did me wrong. No wonder you're broke. You're bitter. The Bible says the wealth of the wicked is stored up for the righteous. But you're so mad at the wicked for being wicked that you don't know how to get next to them to get some of them coins. Listen, Lord, get me next to these. I'm not saying you wicked men of God, you know, but get me next to the wicked. I want the wicked. Give them to me. But listen, I can't receive from them if I'm bitter toward them. Many of you church hurt folk. It's not messing with anybody else but you. Can I be honest? Can I be honest? I'm, I, and listen, I'm not, I'm not justifying anything that was really done wrong. And here's what I, I had to resolve myself. That at the end of the day, everybody has to answer for themselves. And there's no way you'll get to God and say, God, but they did. God going to be like, but did you do? But God, they did. But God, but God. You don't get a but God when you get there. So well done, my good and faithful servant. Or depart from me, I never knew you. Here's the thing. I know they hurt you. I know they wounded you. But while you're up at night wrestling with the pain, they're sleeping really good. They are snoozing. They're loving life. They're moving forward. They're doing what God called them to do. And sure, they dropped the ball at some point. But the truth is, your bitterness is only affecting you. It's only affecting you. Listen, how do I get rid of bitterness? You remind yourself of who you were before the pain. Because if I remember that I made it and he had a plan, I don't have no room to be bitter. (laughs) I made it and he had a plan. And guess what? Can't none of y'all stop his plan for me. Not one of you. Not one of you. I could be fired tomorrow. (laughs) I could be fired tomorrow. And don't worry, I will go through a season of intense mourning and I will, you know, go into a cave somewhere for at least three weeks. At least, because I love my life and my pastor and my job. So. But it wouldn't stop my, his plan for me. Our problem is we're so busy trying to navigate the pain to figure out the plan. When we, we, if we would really just figure out the plan to help us navigate through the pain, we would make it a lot quicker. We would make it a whole lot quicker. Your real issue is you're still trying to figure stuff out. You're still trying to make it make sense. Who cares if it makes sense? You're the only one being affected by it. Take me back. Take me back. Beyond the pain, beyond the struggle, beyond the issues. If I would just be in seed form once again, in a state of being reproduced. Your greatest version of yourself is a son or a daughter. It's not pastor, preacher, teacher, apostle, prophet, evangelist. Your greatest version of yourself is son or daughter. Here's what I know that I know that I know. You're more stable when you're a son or a daughter. You're not moved by the naysayers. You're not moved by who has something bad to say about you. You're more consistent when you're a son or daughter. You're more progressive when you're a son or daughter. Because if God is backing me, man, why do I need you to back me? I don't. Your hold up right now is not that God 
is, 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 is waiting on you to prove yourself into whatever he wants to bring you into. Your holdup is that you're bitter. And tonight, I came to preach about sonship. But the truth is, I came to deal with bitterness. God said, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. And three verses later, the enemy said, if you really are the son, do this. Some of you have bought into the lie of if they really are this, they wouldn't have done this. You're bitter. You're bitter. You're bitter. And I came really with a very simple message. The purest form of who you are is a son or a daughter. You being unbitter, you releasing bitterness, postures yourself to receive from God. Those who are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. The earth is moaning for the manifestation of the sons of God. Now, that scripture, let me give context. It's actually talking about when Jesus comes back, we're going to find out who the real ones really are, right? I know some of them deacons just might not make it, but you might make it. I think some of the heathens, that the ones that fell into sin, that actually repented, but we didn't see them repent, Because, you know, you may not see somebody's repentance. They might be there before we get there. Here's the thing. The truth is, we don't got to wait till that day to manifest ourselves as a son or a daughter. In fact, in Joel, it says, I'll pour out my spirit on all flesh. And your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. You know, I always ask myself this question, God, why didn't you, why didn't you use any, you didn't use men and women. You didn't use, you know, boys and girls. You didn't use uh, pastors, apostles. You didn't use bishops. You didn't use, you didn't, that was not the language you used in the text. You said sons and daughters. And this is what the Lord told me. He said, because I don't give secrets to strangers. I don't give secrets to strangers. The key to your next level in any area of your life is to posture yourself as a son or a daughter. Take me back before the pain, before the hurt, before God uh, allowed or not allowed. You know, that's debatable, right? Before God did whatever he did to allow this pain. If you'll just get unbitter and posture yourself to receive, you'll see that God will elevate you in this next season.